Sneaking around. So I gotta speak real quiet and move really slow. We are your hosts, John Otney, Colin Westman, and Sean Lemmy. Welcome back, guys. It's it's been a while. It's been a while since we've done one of these. An episode of the you pick. know in England this movie's called Trainers. Ah, or uh, in Southern California, tennis shoes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're talking sneakers today. Still a hilarious title. You know, it's funny. It's I was reading like a lot of people funny. didn't take this movie seriously when the script was floating around just because it was called Sneakers. <laughs> Seems like they could have come up with something better. It is a they little strange because I, I mean, <laughs> you could have. It wasn't taken yet. Because I think this job, to some extent, does exist, and it's certainly not called like people who do this job aren't called sneakers. It's not like it's an actual term. <laughs> uh, but it's funny. Thirtieth uh, anniversary of this film this year. Um, I don't know what month it came out. I'm not using any notes right now, you guys. Came and I'm, out. Yeah. September 11th, 1992. Wow. Very memorable day. We remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're, yeah, we're just, we're, we're on top of it. We're getting it, this out a little early then. Um, but yeah, I'm comfortable telling you guys that I didn't write down any notes. Cause you know what? Too many secrets. <laughs> I'm giving you guys the truth. Too many secrets. We'll Love that line from the movie. We'll reveal them all. Um, excited to talk about that. Excited to get into this uh, a weird but awesome cast of eclectic group of all-stars, if you will. Definitely. Uh, but, but first, we have uh-huh. our little picks. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we gotta recommend other stuff that we're we're into right now, and I'll go first. Mm-hmm. And I got right in front of me a book, a bookie wook, <gasps> as Russell Brand might say. I think that's the name of his book, right? My bookie wook. Nobody's thought about no. Russell Brand in seven years. <laughs> well, he'll be canceled at some point. Um, not a good dude, but this book is a good read. And it's called Wild and Crazy Guys, How the Comedy Mavericks of the 80s Changed Hollywood Forever by Nick DeSemlian, who is a editor for Empire Magazine. And this is a book about a bunch of comedy dudes. I'll, I'll tell you who's all on the cover right here. Uh, Bill Murray, Steve Martin, John Belushi, Dan Aykroyd, Chevy Chase, and Eddie Murphy. It does highlight a couple other stars from the 80s, but it goes through their... Uh, comedy careers uh, in the 80s in cinema chronologically for the most part 
Hell yeah, white dudes Damn. from SAL can get it done! Hey, we got Eddie Murphy. Um, it's... <laughs> Every it's funny though that like I guess yeah every single person on this cover was on SNL or at least I mean Steve Martin basically on SNL basically so that's kind of interesting I guess the SNL guys did kind of shape eighties comedy for the most part so it makes sense mm-hmm. uh, but yeah it's just a collection of stories about the makings of a lot of their films. You know, like the jerk and Ghostbusters. But I think what I like about this book is hearing about the duds, the stuff you don't hear about. Like, do you guys know that Chevy Chase was in a movie where he was a a detective who then died and then comes back as a dog who can talk, who's still a detective? (laughs) It's, uh, It's called Oh Heavenly Dog. And uh, it stars Chevy Chase and one of the dogs who played Benji. So it's a Benji dog. uh, Trying to solve a mystery. And everyone fucking hated it. It's so funny. The Chevy Chase sections are very interesting. Because obviously a very controversial guy. Very short fuse. And like his film career actually is pretty bad outside of just a few movies. He did so many like consistent pieces of shit. Like right after he left SNL. Or just movies that no one remembers. Like, there's another movie called, I think it's called Modern Problems, where he has, like, uh, telekinesis or has maybe ele- electricity powers. Okay, so not really yeah. a modern problem. <laughs> well, you know, not really, but... Can I we go know, back to the other title? Did you it. say it's Oh, oh Heavenly Dog? Yeah. <laughs> oh okay, Heavenly so- Dog. So the expression is, oh, heavenly father, right? And they're like, yeah. father is like God. And you flip that around and that's dog. Is that the... Oh, I yeah. I, I didn't even get that. I was just like, oh, that's I didn't get that. Title. And I read I read about it. So, no, I, I think that's what they're going for. Yeah. That's so bad, though. It's that's weird because okay. it seems like a movie. It seems like a movie that either would have been made in like the late 50s early 60s like one of those weird like kind of throwaway disney movies yeah or yeah, a movie yeah. that was like starred tim allen like shaggy dog which i guess was a yeah, remake of I mean, one of those disney we're all, movies we're all thinking the shaggy da right now it's okay <laughs> <laughs> so it's just funny that something like this got made in like the early 80s but was it for kids? I don't know. I can't really tell. Oh, yeah. Uh, but don't want to check well, that I mean, one with, out. with these guys you know there's a, a gratuitous scene where some poor woman has to get her breasts out it's just how comedy movies worked back then yeah dude even like you know the whole reason i picked up this book was because i got back into ghostbusters watching the ghostbusters movies and even re-watching ghostbusters i'm like peter venkman is a sexual predator he is such a freaking <laughs> creep it kind of makes the movie kind of hard to watch in a couple couple parts so it just like this was acceptable behavior at at the movies and in in life, so people love a sex pest. Um, but it is a, it's it's a great book. Honestly, the sections that I find the most interesting are the Eddie Murphy sections, just because. I mean, he started doing comedy when he was sixteen. He was ditching school and going to clubs and and just promoting himself, and eventually got on SNL when he's nineteen, and he just had so much confidence and just made it happen. Like, that's, like Pete that's Davidson. pretty impressive. Like, like Pete, yeah, I mean, sure, I guess. 
the Pete Davidson of his uh, time. I mean, Pete Davidson hasn't really had that breakout movie career yet, though. He's, he's um, had movies. Yeah, I like King of Staten Island okay. Yeah, they're all just kind of like whatever movies. I mean, it's hard for anyone to get a comedy movie off the ground and, and get any traction from that these days. So it's, true. it's pretty much impossible unless we have some sort of comedy renaissance at some point. You'd think uh, it'd maybe. be happening right now, but uh, nope. Because, no. you know, everything's Where on streaming. Where are we right now? Yeah. I guess so. Times have changed for these... Uh, for us and for these wild and crazy guys. That's uh, true. But check it out. Don't let the, the, the blurb from David Ehrlich on the back uh, ward you away. It's a good book. Sometimes oh, David Ehrlich is right. Like his positive review of Dog. <laughs> yeah, sometimes he's right. I'll just I'll never forget when he said Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was the best Indiana Jones and that also he won't be sad when Harrison Ford dies. Yeah, that's a weird thing to say. <laughs> it's a weird thing to <laughs> to include in the conversation. <laughs> I like this movie, but also this guy, I don't care about him and when he dies, I won't be sad. It's like fuck, dude. Okay. Uh, one person who I won't be sad when she dies is the Witch Queen. That's right. It's that time of the year again where I talk about Destiny on the podcast. New expansion <laughs> came out last week. It's called, I hear John running away from the microphone. He's like, this is a good time to take a break. That wasn't me. Uh, that wasn't me. <laughs> I only do that when someone's talking about an album that I haven't heard. Um... Uh, Destiny has a new expansion now. It's called The Witch Queen. It's uh, about this... Like, uh, If you remember a few years ago, we killed someone called the Taken King. This oh, is yeah, that yeah, dude's sure. sister. And she's played by Deborah Wilson, which I love to bring up because mm-hmm. she used to be on Mad TV. And I think it's really cool that she's having this career renaissance as this uh, talented motion capture and voice performance uh, person in video games. Um, so she's great as the Witch Queen. Best villain the series has ever had. The story mode, easily the best story Destiny's ever had. Uh, both from uh, storytelling point of view as well as uh, actual gameplay. They wrote in this like new uh, approach to campaign missions where you get to pick a difficulty and play the levels. Which is the most old-fashioned way to play video games. But it feels really novel in this live service <laughs> bullshit that is Destiny. Uh, and then they also added weapon crafting and some new cool shit. Do you guys have any Destiny questions that I can answer at this point in your lives? Does it still um, spark joy in you? Yeah, I think it uh, it revitalized a lot of my excitement for the franchise. I have been pretty uninterested in it, especially the past, uh, let's say, eight months that I've been way into Final Fantasy XIV. Um but uh, I've been I've been totally back into it since it came out on the uh, on the twenty second on two twenty two twenty two. So it's been uh, two weeks of me loving Destiny again, feeling really good about it. Um, do you play any other games besides these games that take up all of your time? 
Not really, not anymore. No, okay. I uh, tried to play uh, Horizon Forbidden West and just couldn't commit the time. Uh, I played a bunch of the new Pokemon game. Uh, I guess that was early February. Mm-hmm. So, But that's kind of a rare exception as opposed to how I do things, unfortunately. But uh, even... Even right now, where I'm still like not doing a lot of stuff in public, uh, between work and trying to live a responsible life, and also <laughs> committing to these play them forever games, and watch movies for this podcast and do stuff for the blog and all that, there's just not room for other games. Uh, and that's the way uh, the industry wants to go anyway. The, their every game now is got the you can play it forever option uh so my little pick is a movie i saw for the first time a few months ago but i felt like it was worth bringing up because i was really uh taken with it uh it's sydney potier's very first movie it's called no way out it is a noir uh directed by joseph l mankowitz who also directed all about eve the exact same year that this movie came out uh in 1950 uh that film kind of overshadowed this one because i don't think anybody really knew what to make of it because it like very overtly deals with racism in a really like raw like just like intense kind of way that I wasn't expecting. And I, I don't know. It's the kind of film I always am looking for when I watch classic movies where I'm just like, I can't even believe that they made a movie like this at this time period. Um, the plot concerns uh, Poitier playing a doctor who works at a... Um, county hospital in like the prison ward so there are these two guys that get brought in who have been shot after trying to rob a bank and Sidney Poitier has to operate on one of them and the guy dies and his brother who robbed the bank with him thinks that Sidney Poitier's character did it on purpose because the guy is super racist the guy is played by Richard Widmark um so there's all this like back and forth about getting an autopsy to figure out if um city Poitier's character like like if there was some sort of malpractice there or whatever um yeah just uh a movie that deals with racism head-on before that was even really a thing in american cinema because this is still like pre-civil rights era um, and it, it kind of set the stage for a lot of Sidney Poitier's like other uh, like social issue dramas that he did later in his career that were kind of bigger hits probably because they came out when America was actually like ready to ask these kinds of questions in a movie uh, but yeah it's, it's <laughs> a movie that's like a little forgotten but really uh, really interesting for its time. No way out. 
I think there's also a movie from the 80s starring Kevin Costner called No Way Out that oh, has yeah. nothing to do with this movie. <laughs> Not a remake, just the same title. Well, Colin, I think that's a good way into the conversation about our movie, <laughs> Sneakers. Yeah. Now, I know you've been watching, because you just said you've watched the Sidney Poitier movie. I know you've been watching Sidney Poitier movies because of his recent passing. What was I've it like? a few other, yeah. Yeah. What was it like watching those and then watching this? What's that experience been like? <laughs> um... Not that different, honestly, because he's just a guy who he just has a, a natural charm on screen. Like he's just such a consummate movie star that like he he brings that that star presence that he has to whatever kind of movie he's doing, whether it's like a hard hitting drama like No Way Out or uh, something like sort of in between, like Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, or I I also watched the movie um, Lilies of the Field, which is the one he won his Oscar for, which is like, it's literally just a movie about him hanging out with a bunch of nuns and building a chapel, and uh, like that's it. There, there's basically no plot, but he's so charming in the role that it, it's like makes it compelling. Um, and like, yeah, this is just nice to see him kind of just like roll in and do like a ensemble movie like this. I, I know that he had kind of stopped acting in movies as much, uh, by this point. Like I know he had turned to directing more in the seventies and eighties. Uh, a lot of them kind of comedies. He'd kind of turned away from the, the hard hitting, uh, social dramas. But um, yeah, it's it's fun to watch him. It's just like part of an ensemble here. Didn't he direct Ghost Dad? I think he did. He did. Uh, wow. He did a number of movies with with Bill Cosby. Uh, unfortunately. See, but this was interesting to me because I don't know. I've only seen Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, and now this, I guess. But I always thought of, unless I'm not remembering that movie very well. I always thought of Sidney Poitier as being more, like, stoic and serious. And I feel like this is a pretty, like, jokey... He's definitely still the straight man of the group, but he's definitely got, like, some zingers. <laughs> like, well, he wasn't really doing that, was he? Is, is or, or was he? Um, I mean, and guess who's coming here? I would say less so, maybe. I mean, that movie has kind of a lighter touch, even though it's dealing with some heavy issues. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I just, I feel like he can do both is the thing. <laughs> I mean, he definitely got typecast doing more stoic, uh, like very serious, very professional characters. Um, but, but he, he could clearly do comedy. I mean, I, I feel like a lot of his movies in the seventies were comedies. They just don't happen to be kind of the movies he's as remembered. <laughs> By maybe just because they don't have as much sort of like social gravitas in terms of of the barriers they broke down. Uh, but I, I, yeah, I just feel gotcha. like he can do it all. Do you think you're gonna watch the uh, Mr. Tibbs sequel? <laughs> sequel I'm interested. In I I don't know. I mean, there are other movies of his I'm a little more interested in checking out first, but. 
Probably should. I really like In the Heat of the Night. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, so much of that is the uh, the dynamic between those two characters. I can't remember the name of the sheriff actor. Uh, Rod Steiger. Rod uh, Steiger, there you go. That is true, because he goes to like San Francisco in the second one. I was just going to say, watching this movie, I was more. I was actually kind of disappointed he had, didn't have more roles like, at least that I know of, like this, where he was like, I was like, why didn't he do more of these kind of funny, almost buddy comedy type movies in the 90s? And then I'm like, oh yeah, he was like 65 years old when he made this movie. <laughs> He's so old even in this movie. He looks great. I just like, it's almost a shame that he was too late for you know this period of cinema where where we had these like 80s 90s action comedies where the action comedy was perfected in my opinion with like lethal weapon <laughs> and die hard and stuff he yeah, was well the, suited the movie, for it the movie i brought up earlier it was 42 years before this movie so. yeah long career it also made me think about um redford uh now sean i know you've been watching some redford movies this year that's that's correct right that's true now i finally got to watch downhill racer (laughs) with some of the redford movies you've been watching how does this movie line up with his career trajectory or how does it just feel watching those and then watching this uh, well, the most recent of his movies that I watched was Three Days of the Condor, and that is the exact same movie as Sneakers. <laughs> I saw there's a lot of comparisons to that on the IMDb trivia page for Sneakers. <laughs> the The difference is they have substituted out um, Watergate-era paranoia for goofy 90s, everything's going to be fine energy. But other than that, it's basically the same movie. So then, th- th- then this was very comfortable territory for him. Then, right? This isn't that much of a departure, I guess. I, I wouldn't if- say so. Not not based on the the stuff that I've seen. Um, I mean, at this point in time, he is. I don't know what he's doing. He's doing more directing, <laughs> was, I think. He's he's pretty his serious. Early nineties, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I I really know more of his his eighties, where he's like. Acting wise, I guess he's doing like the natural, and then directing wise, he's doing like out of Africa and stuff. You know, like kind of just dramas, not not a lot of fun stuff that I know of, at least. Um, I mean, I mean, I'm totally stoked if I could, uh, if you know, I look up his '90s and see like, oh man, that sounds like that sounds like a good popcorn flick. Um, he he, he did also uh, found the Sundance Film Festival. Sure, that took up some time. That that thing's yeah, still yeah, hanging yeah. around. <laughs> All right, I'm looking at Rot Redford's '90s. Oh, indecent proposal. Uh, uh, what an Adrian Lyne sex thriller. Oh man, that was pretty soon after this. We gotta watch that sometime. Do you guys know about indecent proposal? Oh yeah, I know a lot about it. I I don't. We've all been in that situation. It's like one point in our right? It's about. It's about a billionaire who offers like a million dollars to a married couple so that he can spend one night with the guy's wife. I think Redford must be the billionaire, right? I would oh, imagine. Yeah. And the couple are Demi Moore and Woody Harrelson somehow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That, oh, Oliver Platt's in this? This sounds like a must watch. I guess it's the early 90s. That's the, the peak of Woody like starring in movies. 
Billy Bob Thornton plays a character named Day Tripper. <laughs> like, like the Beatles song. Okay. Um, well, cool. And um, I look forward to talking about the other guys in this movie. I'm thinking what I'll do here is I'm going to do a little bit of background. I'll do a little plot. And then, and then I kind of want to go through the characters maybe. And then, I don't know, we'll, I guess we'll see where it takes us. Um, so the background of this film, this was a script by Lawrence Lasker and Walter Parks, who are probably best known for writing war games, which that makes a lot of sense. I feel like that's a very similar film in terms of it's kind of light, but it's still kind of thrilling and it has a bunch of technology in it where I'm like, is this, is this how all this works? I don't really know enough about this to know if this is how this works. I'm just going to have to take their word for it. Because um, at least when I was watching Sneakers with my brother, he kept saying, like, okay, no way that's how that works. Or no way this is how that works. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, people didn't really know how the internet or technology worked back then, right? So who the fuck knows? And, and we also don't know how technology worked back then. Yeah. Maybe it's a little different. A little different. What, what, do you, can you think of anything specifically that bothered him? I mean, it was just little. Th- it wasn't anything big. I remember, like, yeah, it was a very minor thing. But in the scene where uh, David Stern Whistler is bouncing the call, um, how they have a little screen that's visualizing the call bouncing around the country. Um, but, like, I don't have a problem with that. Because it's like, that's just fun. That, that makes it so much more fun for the audience to have that. So we they can see how close they in are. In three days of the Condor, by the way. They have that <laughs> 20 years earlier. Uh, uh, I, so that idea I'm going to love there. hearing about all these similarities. This would be a great double feature then, I guess, right? It, I bet it's been a double feature many times. Yeah. Um, that, or you go the other yeah. way with it and watch Hackers. Yeah, Hackers also in another, like in a similar space where... That's another movie where I'm like, I'm just going to have to buy that this all makes sense. Well, I don't know. Combined, I mean, yeah. If you, if you combine the two titles, you get Snackers. Snackers. <laughs> uh, we got to make Snackers. John Goodman. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, like, John Goodman's not as fat anymore, but that's because he used to be a snacker. He's coming, like, out of retirement. Yeah. Maybe they need to, like, infiltrate, like, um, there's, like, corruption in, like, a professional eating tournament. And him and the snackers need to blend in. So there's there's, a, there's definitely a skinny, like, uh, Asian actor to kind of be their, uh, their their take on, you know, Kobayashi. Uh, yeah, dude, And also a big muscle man. I, Gotta have a big muscle man. Gotta have a, yeah, maybe, like, a wrestler in there. Maybe, like, Batista. Uh, I would love to see snackers. Uh, but Sneakers, the, the script floated around Hollywood for a while. It seems like a lot of people were really turned off by that title. Uh, <laughs> Just change the title. No, it has to be called Sneakers. Uh, but but Robert, Robert Redford found it, and he thought it was great. So he pretty much recruited a lot of the guys to be in this. Though, I, you know, this movie is a Phil Alden Robinson movie. Um, who is the director of Field of Dreams? And it does have Timothy Busfield and James Earl Jones, and they're both in Field of Dreams, so I wonder if he kind of brought them over onto the project. 
It's filled with dreams, filled buddies. Strings. Yeah. And and thank God that stars Robert Redford over Kevin Costner because I feel like that would be boring. Uh, this <laughs> is the right choice. Fun. Robert Redford's just like he's so fucking suave, dude. He's so cool. I can't even think of really who to compare it, care, compare him to. Like he's 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 very special in his own way. Uh, but yeah, Redford put this team together. Everyone had a blast making this movie. Uh, Phil Alden Robinson says like it was so fun. The only way it could have been better is if we'd lost all the film and then had to just remake the whole film. <laughs> it's like wow, like so often you hear about troubled productions. It's so nice to hear that something like went well and everybody had a good time. Um, I would hate to hear about like Sydney old old man Sydney Pote having a bad time on this on this flick. <laughs> Yeah, the age um, thing makes it hard to think of a comparison for 1992. Um, I mean, we've been talking about how old Sidney Poitier is, but Rod Redford's right out there. He's got to be in his late 50s. I think uh, so. I think he was like 50. Ooh, I can't. I'd have to look it up again. He's de- yeah, in mid mid to late 50s. Yeah, uh, I mean to the point that they bring in uh, Mary McDonnell as the love interest, someone who's probably in her 40s like how often do you, do you see roles for women in their 40s but if they were younger you know what you could compare this to is uh is mission impossible because that is another movie from this era about a team that steals something and gets betrayed and then has to like fuck shit up to get revenge i mean and don't you get such mission impossible vibes from the sequence where robert redford has to steal back the little black box but he, he can't go too fast in the room with the sensors, so he has mm-hmm. to walk really slow across the room. I'm like, this this really reminds me of the Mission Impossible, like uh, one the the drop into the room, and you know, yeah, because you have to be well, so and, precise. And the scene before that too, where they have to do the identity theft thing so that you can get through the special locked door with voice identification. That's such a Mission Impossible thing to do. You know, it's funny. One of the criticisms of this movie was that the guys were too old. I mean, specifically Redford and Potier. I think Roger Ebert said in his review that these guys are just too feeble, is how he put it, which is a really (laughs) mean way of putting it. But, like, I was thinking about it, and it's like, I feel like if these guys did this job in real life, if they're real guys like this, which I guess there are, they would be, like, older dudes who are trying to be, like, be cool like it makes me think of remember on nathan for you he'd always hire that like private eye that like older guy Mm -hmm. that called him like the wizard of loneliness like it'd be like a bunch of guys like that who would be in this racket you know guys (laughs) who are trying to reclaim their youth or their masculinity or like i'm a secret agent so like i totally buy that older guys do this job also for Sidney potier i mean it just makes sense from like a plot standpoint because He's, you know, former CIA. He's got years and years of experience. He's got to be an older guy. So yeah. I yeah. I like that it stars older guys. Also, you get, like, the boomer commentary of, like, young Robert Redford and Ben Kingsley, like, believing and, like, taking on the system. And then they get older and they're like, eh, who cares? Let's just make some money. <laughs> Do our job. Yeah, dude, Total Boomers. Movie even starts in the 60s. It starts in 1969. 
where uh, young Robert Redford, looking very much like his uh, uh, Sundance kid look, kind of. <laughs> I, I'm not sure who the actor is. Uh, is I guess hacking into s- systems with his uh, buddy, who looks more like David Paymer, if you ask me. He doesn't look like young David oh, yeah. Like, yeah, a, a lot David like Paymer energy. They should have got Incredibly. David Paymer. Where's well, David that's Paymer? That's what I thought it was. I thought it was too for a second. I don't think it is. I, like, I feel like I know if it was a David Paymer. Was <laughs> he playing a young man in the movie? <laughs> man, where's where's that guy when you need him? I, mean, I saw him in that movie Horse Girl, you know, with Alison Brie a few years ago. Oh, so yeah, good. Yeah. He's in one scene as a doctor, and he's so good because it's a scene where she's like comes to him and she's like, uh, I th- I think I'm a clone. And he's just like, oh, okay, well, I'm not really that kind of doctor, but, um, well, let's see, you could, you could maybe, and just, he just plays it so well, so straight, he's so good, Pamer is a pro, he does such a good job playing a young man, <laughs> whoever David this Pamer is. was 38 in 1992, <laughs> he could have done okay. it, he could have done it, um, Something I got to point out about the scene. Wait, 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 wait. I need to stop things for a second. I'm on <laughs> David Paymer's Wikipedia page, which, by the way, does not have an image. Paparazzi, get out there, snap one, <laughs> snap a picture, and put it up there. We are, we, we yeah. are owed one. Uh, it says in his career, the last sentence in his career section on Wikipedia is he's often confused with fellow character actor Kevin Pollack. I do not see the resemblance. I don't know what people are talking about. And there's uh, no similar hairline. This this is some fucking asshole who's like, oh, I thought they were the same guy. I'm going to put on Wikipedia and make it official. I think that it's up to us to fix this. We need to add a picture and we need to correct this. This feels a little anti-Semitic, honestly. It does. They, I'm looking up pictures of them. They look nothing alike. They have, they have a similar hairline. That's it. Yeah, that's weird. Also, it's just like Kevin Pollock's quite a bit more famous than David yeah. Cameron. People know him. He's Kevin Pollock. Not everybody knows David Paymer. God, David Paymer's got such a good... He's got an Academy Award nomination. Wow. He's he got so many credits. Yeah, apparently for... Uh, really? For Mr. Saturday Night, that terrible <laughs> Billy Crystal movie? <gasps> well, you know... I thought that's... that movie's bad. That's the movie he made in 1992 instead of being in Sneakers in a small movie. <laughs> you know, he's also in City Slickers. He, maybe him and, and uh, Billy Crystal are buddies. Uh, but I definitely remember him from Searching for Bobby Fischer. Obviously, he was great in Drag Me to Hell as the mean boss who then gets blood all over him. Or puke. I think it's puke. Um, he's in The American President, State in Maine, Quiz Show. Uh, so back to this opening... Uh, so I, I don't know I guess I just don't know that much about the history of computers I didn't realize they had computers that were like small like that that had these kind of capabilities you know that they're using them to hack into various government institutions and whatnot. like I thought all computers in the 60s were like 100 feet tall <laughs> and only used to like operate Westworld this is totally news to me um I guess I'm just out of touch. So that was just me, though. I just wanted to bring that up that, like, I didn't realize yes. there were guys like this back in the 60s. 
so no, you've jumped ahead into uh, Sean's goofs. Uh, that was oh, <laughs> that's a that's a computer I, from wow. 1987. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I stepped on a goof landmine. It's <laughs> a huge goof. I thought it seemed strange. I'm like, it's the 60s. Did they really look like that? <laughs> and it's like everybody Fucking there funny. is like this movie's made in the 90s. Everyone must have known, right? Or did they just like? I don't know. Just People forgot. just didn't know. They <laughs> forgot. I mean, everyone was just doing so much, so many drugs in the sixties. Um, yeah. So I mean, the, there is some credibility to there being networking uh, because that we had ARPANET in the uh, in the mid sixties. One of the earliest, maybe maybe the earliest form of the internet, um, which is a uh, a uh, set up by the uh, Department of Defense as well as I think some universities um, but yeah the computer that they're using uh, it says on IMDB uh, is using an IBM VGA uh, display um, and that standard was not developed until 1987 so oops wow that's a that's a huge goof though because I noticed I was distracting to me um, but still I uh I still, I still like this sequence. It, it's cool. It's kind of done. If I recall, I think it's done in like a four-three aspect ratio. I think they, to, to you know, just to show that it's the past, show that it's old. Yeah. I feel like it has a, a, a tint or a hue to it to make it look more old, as well. Yeah. Even though and, the late sixties were the era of giant epics in theaters. And uh, Redford, Martin Bishop, I believe, and his buddy Cosmo, are uh, just kind of playing pranks, I guess. And then they, uh, Redford goes out for pizza because they're gonna like, they they make he has to guess, I don't know what he's got something in his hand like guess which hand he's like oh I never lose, he loses oh now you have to go get pizza and as he goes out to get pizza, his buddy gets busted by the feds, and Redford flees young Redford, <laughs> flees later we find out he went to Canada he changed his identity got the hell out of Dodge. Um. And it, it, it's funny because I totally, I totally forgot that like Ben Kingsley was in this movie, and that th- I didn't, I didn't even think this character was gonna show up again later. <laughs> like I thought it was more of just a oh, Redford yeah. origin story. I didn't realize it's like this is to show like how he, be- how the villain started as well. So you believed so, it when he's like, oh, he died in prison. Yeah, I did. Well, I mean, I believed it when those guys told him they're NSA agents too. Well, actually, I don't think I did. I think I was skeptical. <laughs> you can't trust Timothy Busfield to anything. He's always playing a, a lying jerk. Except for in the West Wing, where he's the most sincere, wonderful person in the whole show. Oh, really? See, see, I guess I mostly know him from Field of Dreams, where he almost kills the girl. She almost chokes on hot dog. And then First Kid, where he's trying to kill a kid who yeah, uh, yeah, got yeah. him fired. So it, I don't know if... That's really what it's like on the West Wing. I feel like really? he's always just like, well, he's just like, he's like a little swarmy because he's like always coming on real strong to uh, Alice and Janney's character. He's just like really trying to get her to go out with him. Yeah, and that's it's like It's like back off, dude. <laughs> All right. But so yeah, let's... otherwise, he's just a journalist. He wants to get the truth. Whatever. Let's talk about the let's talk about the sneakers. <laughs> let's break down the team. 
the okay. team of the sneakers in modern day. So we got we got Martin Bishop, and his job during the sneaking operation is usually to. I, I don't know what you call that position, but he's the guy that goes in after kind of everyone else has done their part too. Yeah, he, he's the Ethan Hunt. He's the Ethan exactly. I'll yeah, perfect. He takes on the impossible mission and makes it possible. You got Sidney Poitier as Crease, a former CIA officer and a family man. Gotta have him be a family man. Thank God he didn't die. I feel like that would have been such like a crappy cliche that you see with like um. You see, I see. I feel like there's a lot of like buddy movies where like the older black cop like dies who has a family or or there's something like that some sort of cliche yeah. uh, but no cia dude and you guys remember how why he got kicked out of the cia right i do dude. it's the big reveal it's the last thing in the movie basically it's not the last thing in the movie i mean it's near the end okay well i guess we'll save it for when we get there because it's so <laughs> it's the big payoffs Big fan. That is a wacky scene. So, I would like to break down that scene. I guess when we get there. Uh, yeah, we got Crease. We got um, Dan Aykroyd playing himself, essentially. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I say that because he's a conspiracy theorist. Is his character's name Mother? Does anyone? Yeah, understand I think that? it's a play on Mother Russia because his last name is Roscoe. So it's like Mother oh. Roscoe. I guess I was thinking like like motherboard, <laughs> like with computers, because uh, he's kind of like the gadget guy. I feel like he'd always show off like the he's like the Q or something or the Simon Pegg. I guess was he was he gadgets? Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. The he's thing is, they guy. like start to transition him into Ethan Hunt Junior. in the later ones, but right, definitely in his first few Mission Impossibles, he's the gadget guy. We got Carl Arbogast. This is River Phoenix's character, the late great River Phoenix. It, it states here that it says here that he's a young hacking genius. I didn't get that at all. Did you guys? Yeah. Well, they, they when they when they're setting up the team when they're um, when uh, Timothy Busfield and other guy come in, you know, pretending that, to want to hire them for a job, and Robert Redford says who everyone on the team is. Uh, you know, he also like justifies why they're on the team by talking about something cool they did and i think for carl he, he he's like yeah he uh like hacked into his high school to like change his grades or something like that it's weird because i feel like mostly what we see him do in the movie is dress up as maintenance personnel and then get into an <laughs> yeah. argument with someone at the front desk yeah he's the he that, like, he's twice. the matt damon if, if, if this was a uh, uh, Ocean's Eleven movie, okay, right. Uh, so yeah, that's funny that they have to note that he's a hacking genius because, like, I no, I didn't get that. Um, they but just one did, guy that so the thing yeah. the thing is because of the MacGuffin in this movie, nobody needed to do any hacking after maybe the halfway point because it became uh, you know redundant, and so they had to find other things for people to do because hacking was off the table. Uh, well, there is one guy who hacks, and in a way, the most uh, useful and important member of the team, yeah. and that's Whistler, David Strathairn, who I did not know going into this movie that this character was going to be blind. What did you guys feel about this? It's, it's a choice. It's a choice. <laughs> it's tough, because 
yeah, uh, this wouldn't happen today. You would get a blind person to play this part. So it is a little weird. I feel like it's not in too bad of taste. I only recall one scene where I was like, ugh, I don't like that. And it's a scene near the end where I think it's when they run into James Earl Jones and um, like he goes out to, or it's, I can't remember, maybe a scene earlier than that, but he goes out to shake somebody's hand and there's nobody there. He's like, no, you're, yeah, that's oh, at what? the end. And that whole James Earl Jones scene is so tonally wrong. Okay, I I think it's I think it's kind of brilliant. I kind of think it's great, but I I, I also agree with you. <laughs> uh, um, but Whistler, it's tough because I, I I do like the character and his one like action set piece is super fun. But yeah, dude, he's not blind. And then, like, just anytime I see David just there, and you can see, like, he's trying to, like, cross his eyes a little bit or do something funny. It's just, like, it's a little cringy. I know it was a different time, and I like him a lot as an actor. Um, uh, there's just some other weird things that they have to do to justify his position on the team. Like, it seems like he has a real-time Braille readout of his computer that he's somehow able to read. I don't know how you could keep um, up with that. It seems impossible. <laughs> that was cool, though. Like, it was cool. It's something I've, it's it's not something I've ever Helmet with, like, about. goggles on it, too. Yeah, like, <laughs> they could have made this character just a really straightforward hacker, but, like, it adds at least an interesting wrinkle to um, what it does. Yeah, and, and uh, the, the stuff uh, later about his, like, particular attention to detail and uh, ability to, uh, you know, perceive the world in a different way because he's blind. I think that's all great. But I, I mean, we were talking earlier about technological leaps of faith and like a real-time Braille readout in 1992. <laughs> I, I don't understand. It maybe yeah. the, maybe it was real. Maybe it existed. I don't know. It, but, it seems impractical, but like from a visual standpoint for the audience, it's super fun. <laughs> Just a fun thing to have. Yeah. Uh, so also, yeah, we get... I was really impressed in how fast he was able to load up his uh, samples of uh, car sounds on his uh, synthesizer. Uh, oh yeah, would have taken They're me like a really long it. time to get those going, but he's got it going in like less than a minute. It's amazing. I forgot about that sequence where that Raw Redford gets kidnapped and put in a trunk, and they're tr- they're trying to figure out where he went by driving around and trying to like or like him describing the noise when he was in the trunk, and then them finding that section of road. It's insane. See, that's what I like about this movie is them getting into the nitty gritty and the details of how they do their work and how they have to fix problems and whatnot. I, I feel like it does a good job of. Of holding the audience's hand just enough so that we don't get lost. I feel like this movie could potentially be conf- pretty confusing, but I feel like it's actually not. Um, and I'm someone who's e- easily confused by it, everything. So <laughs> that was nice. Um, yeah, you know, it, it, we get to see them kind of run through their operation, uh, providing uh, their service for a bank. And then not long after, as they're hanging out at their suite hangout spot in San Francisco mm. that bring back memories for you Colin San Francisco uh, location bit. yeah yeah I mean man some of it's like 
downtown in the like uh, like the business the business part of town. <laughs> I love that back memories for me because I've oh really I also the the marathon I did before Robert Redford was the Dirty Harry marathon. Um, so I'll take place in San Francisco. Yeah. I feel right at home there. Now. I do really love that shot, Rafi. It's, it's also like such a fucked up place. Oh my God. <laughs> really? So much crime. Well, yeah, Dirty, Dirty Harry. Dirty quits, Harry quits the police force at the end of every single Dirty Harry movie. Because <laughs> he just he can't does, take it anymore. It's because he does so much fucked up shit that he does. He's going to get No, it's... It is. It's, it's not that. It should it be. Should that. be. Yeah. Because there's always there's always a midpoint where the the chief is like, "Look, dude, I'm gonna suspend your ass because you do so much fucked up shit." <laughs> uh, but then they bring him back in because he's the only one who can solve the case. And then he's like, "Oh, it's it's not even worth it. Nothing's gonna change. I quit." All right, Everything. guys. I I need to use a restroom real quick. Sean, I want you. Can you rank the Dirty Harrys from best to worst real quick until I get back? I'll be right back. Oh, okay. Well, I think you gotta have uh, the first Dirty Harry as uh, number one. It's the I only think, one I've seen. I think I would put Magnum Force as as the second best. What's the deal right with that one? I, I haven't seen any of them except for the first one. Um, so it's it's about like a uh, a mobster's like getting out of prison, mm-hmm. and and he's like I gotta put that guy back in, and uh, there's like a whole like team of corrupt cops that he's gotta kill. Um, I think I think in third place I would put the Deadpool because it is the goofiest one. Um, that's the one that has. Liam Neeson in a prominent role, and uh, also Jim Carrey is in it. Is that the uh, last one? That's the last one. That's like the nineties. Uh, yeah, he's. Uh, I think it's still the late eighties. I don't think they went that far. Okay. Um. Uh. But the last two, he's he seems really old. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh. And so then. Um. That leaves Sudden Impact and The Enforcer, which are both bad. Um, I'll, I'll put Sudden Impact uh, in the penultimate spot and then The Enforcer in last. Just because the older he gets, the funnier it is. <laughs> but it's not as funny, kind of like in the middle. <laughs> nah. I, I mean, because these start out, he's pretty old. God, they should do another one now. <laughs> so fucking old. <laughs> Sean, did you ever see? I'm back now. Sean, did you ever see uh, Bloodwork? That Clint Eastwood movie from like maybe 2000, late 90s. Um, I don't think so. That's a fun Clint Eastwood movie because he's playing a tough cop, but he's so old at that point. And the whole movie is about like. He's got to be careful because he has heart problems. That's why it's called blood work. The whole movie is about like, I got to go easy or I'll die from a heart attack. <laughs> and this Now this movie came out like 20 years ago and he's, he's dealing with those problems. Wow. Uh, okay, yeah. I see it's based on a book uh, by uh, by Michael Connelly, the, uh, the Lincoln oh, Lawyer guy. Yeah. 
I remember it being fine. I mean, I, I don't know why we rented this. I was a kid. Why would I have wanted to see this? Maybe, <laughs> maybe I watched it after Space Cowboy, and I was like, Space Cowboys, and I was like, that was good. Let's watch this. Whoa! Did you guys know that Michael Connelly's also the Bosch guy? I think yeah. I did, just because I used to work in a bookstore. But that I, I did, I, I knew that at a certain point in time, and I forgot it. But so, so yeah, no, thank, cool. thank you for reminding me of that. <laughs> Bosch is huge with. With older people, Bosch was huge. Speaking people would of come Bosch, in and buy guys, Bosch. Oh, go on ahead. DVD. If you have, Bosch I, I'm just saying, older people would buy it on DVD, and I'm like, isn't this on Amazon Prime to like to watch? Like, why are you buying this? You know, one of those things. Like when people buy House of Cards yeah. on DVD, which a lot of older people did at that period in time. There you so, go. If you guys have been on Amazon Prime Video lately, you've probably seen a promo for the new Jack Reacher show. Uh, um, yeah, but, I think so. But if you haven't, um, know that the, the two Jack Reacher films were criticized for being uh, inaccurate to the books in one specific way. Um, Tom Cruise is short, and Jack Reacher is supposed to be a very, very tall man. <laughs> <laughs> so he can reach up and grab things. The guy they cast for Jack Reacher is so big. (laughs) You you won't believe how big this guy is. Um, I don't know how good the show is, but uh, if you want to just look at a very, very big man, I would recommend watching those uh, promos (laughs) for the new Jack Reacher show. He's so something, big, you guys. Something else that was that almost became a show. I think I think I read this. I don't think this is a dream. Was sneakers? I believe there was talk about that what? somewhere. I thought I read that. Maybe maybe I'm mistaken. I, it would make sense, right? As a show. A yeah, show? you could do that super low budget. That could be on the CW or the WB, as it was called back. Then. Hmm. So is I don't, think, I don't think that's the right the guy who plays Reacher. Slowly saying yeah. six foot two, or is he just big in the other ways? He's big and he's bulky. Big, he looks like he's big in all the ways in the promos, but you know maybe it's maybe they're still casting the actors that work with Tom Cruise, and they just seem way smaller because very it's short. Yeah. Uh, I, I try. I tried to get us back on track, but this Jack Reacher combo is just too powerful. <laughs> uh. But I'll try. I'll try. Do a Google image search. He's so big. <laughs> Sounds pretty big. <laughs> Give the people what they want. Also, fan. also big is the dilemma Martin Bishop faces when two supposed NSA agents show up at their sweet pad. Because they're like, Dude, yeah, who's we the know? other one, John? Uh, I don't know. Some guy. Let's see. <laughs> some guy. I feel bad that I don't know, but I, I didn't. Well, I actually yeah. I, he we did look so familiar. About David Paymer. <laughs> not even in this movie. Uh, Eddie Jones. He was uh, George or Jonathan Kent on Lois and Clark: The New Adventures of Superman. Nice. Uh, yeah, mostly TV actor, older dude. Passed away a few years ago. Rest in peace. Um, yeah, he's good. He's creepy. He he knocks uh, Robert Redford out a lot, which is a funny recurring gag. Yeah, uh, but it actually seems, seems pretty painful the way he does it. Oh, God. Yeah, he's with the butt of his pistol. 
seems like face. he'd kill him if you did that yeah. enough time. He did it like three times. He would definitely die because he's so feeble I think and stuff, I, too. I think I've said this before on this podcast, but my least favorite trope is that I'm going to hit you in the head and you'll be asleep for a while. Because <laughs> it I doesn't it happen too. in reality. I, I think that's the thing. I think in this day and age we're now more than ever educated about like that that does that does not work if you're going to be passed out you you'll probably get brain damage or die um i I, yeah it's like everybody knows that now so it's kind of hard to watch especially in a movie like this where it keeps happening in that sequence i know it's played for laughs but it's like it's not that wouldn't work though come on come on you got to come up with something better just even chloroform actually chloroform doesn't work in real life like how it does in the movies either but just think of something else. Yeah, don't you have to hold chloroform to someone for like a long time? A long time. Out? Yeah, like twenty minutes or something. <laughs> it's it's not gonna happen in like a second. Uh, <laughs> that's probably another thing too. It probably also gives you brain damage. I don't know. It can't be good for you to pass out like that. No. <laughs> uh, but these NSA guys, they got shit on Martin. Um, and Martin didn't tell the rest of the sneakers about this, so they're pretty pissed at him, but he's like, come on, we gotta do it. Uh, the, the mission is to steal this little black box from this famous mathematician, Dr. Gunther, uh, Yannick, uh, who works for Tech Astronomy. How excited were you guys when you saw who was playing, uh, Gunther? I was really excited. Pretty excited. It's maybe the earliest role I've seen Mr. Donald Logan. I think it's his first feature film role, if I'm not mistaken. It is. It's his first role in a movie. Cool. Uh, As as a foreign scientist. I guess they just thought he had a good look. I mean, he is foreign to the United States. Oh, is this true? He's Canadian. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, you're correct. Yeah. Ontario, uh, but he's doing like an Albert Einstein voice. Assuming that's how Albert <laughs> Einstein talks, and it's pretty, it's pretty wacky. But I feel like movies like this, secret agent movies, espionage movies, always have like a wacky scientist guy in there somewhere who invents something and then is either killed or kidnapped or whatever. It's cooking something up in that lab. Cooking something up in that lab. Two, a couple things I want to highlight from this sneaking session. Um, I really like it, guys, when they're spying on the doctor, and then um, as he's doing his work, his uh, his a coworker or, or some woman he's having an affair with comes in, and they start like making out, and River Phoenix is like, oh yeah, <laughs> and then like Sydney Poitier's like, get out of there, like come on, grow up, and then he goes to Rod River, and he's like, come on, let me see, let me see, like that he wants to see, and I that. I thought that killed. Sidney Poitier has all the best, all the best bits in this movie. If you ask me, he wanted to see the sexy situation. Uh, had to highlight that. I don't remember how they got the black box now, though. Well, they have to it's, they have to like review a, the footage. It's a it's a process because they don't actually know where it is when they first <laughs> tape it. They do that thing where they like zoom in on what seems to be tape footage. Yeah, they could like enhance, which is another trope of movies that I love that makes sense. I love that. 
<laughs> you shot this it's on a shitty camcorder. Enhanced. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, at least in this case, um, they do that because they're trying to see uh, what um, what Donald Logue had typed into his computer, and they can't actually make out what he typed, and um, they end up just going off of something that David Strather noticed um, by by paying attention at the time, as opposed to what's on the video. So, at the very least, uh, the bullshit enhancing thing didn't actually help them not in that uh, scene steal a thing yeah whistler hears that the for some reason the, the the black box is in the, the the answering machine well yeah he heard that the woman he was having an affair with said how can you never call and he said well i don't have any uh phone reception in my office and so he's like why does he have an answering machine if he can't use the phone yeah dude I don't remember how they actually swiped it, though. I know we don't have to boil this down to every single plot point. I just yeah, but we need to footage. talk about that because Robert Redford goes in to steal it, and the woman catches him stealing the black box. Right, um, that's a good scene. I remember the, that now. It's the first to me, like very surprising uh, tonal uh, move that this movie makes uh, because. Given the the story we've heard so far and everything that's happened, um, you think this scene where him getting caught, having snuck into a place and stealing a thing, is going to be really tense and scary, and uh, you know he's it's going to be a great oh shit moment. Um, but instead, it's entirely played for laughs uh, because Robert Redford has to uh, bluff his way out of it, and he's being coached by. Um, Sidney Poitier and one of the other guys. I forget which one. And they just make him say funny things to the lady to convince him that he's allowed to be there. It's great. Love love a scene where someone is getting uh, directions on what to say through an earpiece. <laughs> it's always fun. It's very and, Murderville. And it, yes. <laughs> always always suspenseful, but silly. It's, it's a light suspense, which I, I very much appreciate. Oh, I also forgot to mention that at this point, um, Liz joins the, the team too, or like uh, Robert Redford's character's mm-hmm. uh, Martin's former girlfriend. Yeah. Um, so I have a lot of questions McDonald. about this. Yeah. Big questions, huge questions. <laughs> yeah. So he goes to recruit her in a castle where she's teaching children music. Yeah. Like, what the fuck was this? What was going on here? <laughs> uh, maybe someone just had a good location. They're like, how can we fit this in the film? What I, is Liz's job? Piano teacher. <laughs> in, in this cast. Her, I mean, yeah, it's unfortunate. I think in the original script, she was supposed to be like a bank employee and had more maybe knowledge of money and finance. But uh, they I mean, just kind of changed her to girlfriend, former girlfriend, who's good at helping Martin on missions, I guess. By being pretend girlfriend at one party and then going on a date with Stephen Toblowski on the other thing. Great sequence, though. Very glad that's in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they get the black box. Can we talk about the awesome scene where they, like, discover what it is? The whole thing? Like, where they're playing Scrabble and stuff? Or just that part? 
yeah, the I guess the whole thing. I well, just the fact that like, yeah, there's that scene where <laughs> David Sustain's got like his sweet goggles, and he's like reading out all this code, and then while while he's doing that, um, Robert Redford has like all the Scrabble pieces. And he's like, C-Tech Astronomy. And he's uh, messing around with the letters. And, like, the score is, like, really intense. It's This is a James Horner who was, uh, you know, James Cameron's kind of go-to guy. James Horner, uh, rest in peace. Uh, it really reminded me of, like, his be- a Beautiful Mind score, like, whenever the equations would come up. Except now it's Robert Redford with, like, Scrabble pieces trying to figure out what C-Tech Astronomy really means. Uh, yeah, that was one of my favorite sequences of the, the whole movie. Just visually, because the the way they shoot from under the table and you see him moving around all the pieces. Um, and of course that, uh, we we learn that means too many secrets. Too uh, many. And I'm not sure why they had to to do that. Why did they make their their fake name an anagram? <laughs> Unless they want somebody to figure that out, right? Or maybe that was just a happy coincidence. Well, I think secrets. I think it's because so you have like the Dan Aykroyd character, right? Yeah. Um, who's a conspiracy theorist guy, and the conspiracy theorists love that sort of shit, right? Like it's mm-hmm. like oh oh it's a it's this is an anagram for this, or uh, these numbers add up to six six six, or or whatever, you know. I think it's it's playing into that aspect of this sort of you know global massive conspiracy that they're that they do leave clues for people that are so tantalizing you can't resist it's just more fun but while he's doing yeah, that because you're trying to take pieces, over the world doesn't mean you can't have fun yeah uh whistler finds out that basically what what's in this box is that it's it's capable of breaking the encryption of nearly any computer system so you could mm-hmm. pretty much run amok with this from a technological standpoint. You could destroy the economy. You could take over airplanes, whatever, launch missiles. So they're pretty skeptical about giving this to the NSA. So we're right back into war games. Yeah. Oh, I. You know, I, I don't think I mentioned they came up with this idea while they were working on war games. So <laughs> this was, like, conceived, you know, during the Cold War times as well. Yeah. Um I mean they even have that uh that Russian guy who at a certain point like all right, can we like trust this guy? Is this guy the bad guy or does he have ties to the bad guy? So definitely people are still mm-hmm. feeling that that sentiment of we can't trust Russia and in, in retrospect, yeah, dude. We can't. <laughs> um so yeah, you know, they're skeptical, but like he's going to deliver it anyways. Um, but then Sidney Poitier gets that call, and they, like he just like tells them like, "No, dude, we got to get out of here." And we find out they were like f- they were former NSA agents, right? They did they were at some point government agents, Timothy Busfield and the other guy. Yeah. Uh, but now they're they're working, I guess, with like organized crime. Um, again, yeah. don't have to go beat for beat here. They're working for, or at least working with, uh. Cosmo, David Pamer. He's now become Ben Kingsley <laughs> with uh, a haircut that let's just say is a choice. 
It's pretty it's much it. just a man bun. It's a man bun. It's a, a like a '90s man bun. I'm trying to remember. Was it white? I'm trying to remember what his hair color is in this movie. It was just gray. It's just gray. You know, I actually, uh, despite the fact that Ben Kingsley has been playing an older man for many, many years, <laughs> pretty much always. Uh, he's playing Gandhi in the early '80s. <laughs> I actually did not buy that him and Robert Redford were contemporaries. I I felt like he was younger. He just looked younger. Uh, the minor mm. complaint. I still like seeing him in, in you know in the movie showing up as the bad guy, the kind of bad guy who wants to tell you his whole plan. But at least, yeah, at least I get it in in terms of like they used to be very close friends and they had like a similar passion for this. At least he thought it was a passion for this, whereas Robert Redford was, was more like, no, dude, we were playing pranks. Where uh, Cosmo wants to take this technology and like destroy the economy, basically start over. No more rich people. Kind of interesting plan, right? Like he kind of sympathized for that, right? In a way. I'm, I don't know. I mean, we're back to we're back to Fight Club now. <laughs> I yeah, said in I said in a way, up. I said in a way. Uh, it's always nice when you have a villain who, like, you can kind of see their point of view, right? Mm. Is this just me? I mean, I don't think it was as concrete as you're portraying it. It seemed to me like he was just like, I, in prison, I teamed up with organized crime. Yeah. Generic organized crime, whatever that means. They never, yeah, they don't say it's mafia or what. It's organized crime. They're organized. And, and now I'm going to use the black box to fuck up the world economy, and we'll get to run the world, I guess. I question mark, question mark, question mark. I see. Profit. I wasn't sure if he was like gonna, yeah, profit off of this, or if it was more of just I want to set things right. I wasn't really sure. I I don't know. I wasn't picking up on there being anything righteous about him. I mean, like, he certainly didn't seem. Let's to be going it. about this in a way that a sane person would be doing it. Like, mm-hmm. Robert Redford was kidnapped, knocked out several times, brought to his <laughs> evil villain lair, and then, yeah, taken away and dumped out in the street. Also, they, uh, when Robert Redford earlier goes to his Russian friend to for help, uh, Cosmo's goons, or at least guys he's associated with, show up and, like, fucking kill, like, the Russian guy and his driver. I guess Martin touches the gun, so he's gonna be, like, uh... They send, like, his information virtually, like, uh, to, like, the FBI, so they're, like, gonna come for him for real for murder and and other shit, so he's fucked. So, yeah, not a good friend, Cosmo. Uh... More I think about it, yeah, maybe his intentions aren't so good. Also, are those the only uh, murders in the whole movie? Those uh, those Russian guys. Hmm. I don't. I can't think. Of, I mean, the sneakers don't like come in with like guns. Like they're not really that kind of operation. No, that's not what they do. Does uh, God does does Robert Redford even throw a punch? He does get revenge on the guy that like knocked him out. I feel like he punched hits yeah. him back at some point. He, he yeah he knocks him out with his pistol. He does that. I think that's it. I think that's the the sum total of violence enacted by the sneakers. 
Uh, oh, wait, no, no, no. Uh, of course. I, I don't want to spoil it, but the big... Uh, uh, the big Sidney Poitier reveal does have a little bit of violence as well. The big I'm so excited to get to the big reveal. Uh, so after they dump off uh, Redford, there's that fun part of the movie where um, we, we get to see them. Like First they try to call the actual NSA, but they also don't want them to track them down. So they do that bouncing the calls thing, which is fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I would say this is the most Three Days of the Condor part of, of the movie. Oh, yeah. Um, because Three Days of the Condor is about Robert Redford, uh, who is someone who works for the CIA, um, but is now on the run. And he's not sure who he can trust. He's not sure if he's being targeted um, by the CIA. Um, so he doesn't know what to do. Um, and he does have a lot of scenes like this where he's, uh, you know, showing up at people's places and being like, I, you know, I, I don't know who to trust. So I came here. And, uh, he is bouncing calls around and contacting people within agencies and being like, can I trust you? Um, so this was the most familiar section of the movie to me. This is definitely a part where it's like, I'll get my phone out and uh, look at Twitter or something. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I got this. It is fun though. It's fun when they're bouncing the calls. <laughs> it's fun when, they're trying to find the location that Robert Redford was taken to. So Whistler, yeah, he synthesizes the, the sounds of the car against the road. And uh, and then there's that part where he's like, I heard a party. And they find out there's like a gaggle of geese nearby. And they, they track it down to, yeah, this, this, this toy company, which is obviously a front for, for Cosmo's real operation. And then they start... Uh, staking out this place, figuring out how are we going to sneak in, and uh, which, by the way, what is his operation? It seems like everything he's doing hinges on him getting the black box, which he does not have and has not and has never had, and is and is in no way involved in the development of. Uh, maybe they're like it, toys so it's, it's, that spy on you or something. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, he's actually maybe. just really invested in the toy company. And this is just kind of his side project. He got really into toys in prison. And... Uh, you know what? I think Colin's right. I think Colin has just given us a great insight into the American capitalist mindset of I'm going to make the thing, but down the road, I would like to take over the world. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> good to have goals you know outside of your night every five. ceo in america has that that mindset i think yeah so a couple oh, things boy. they learn from staking out the building um they do get the like the security system and find a, an employee uh Werner brandis uh they 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 point him out because his, his office is right next to Cosmo's and they need to get into Cosmo's office to get the black box back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they also find out that there's like a uh, to get into an office room, you need to get like, ha- you need, it's a synth, it's a you need their voice, basically. So they're mm. going to try to get his voice, to get him to say certain words. Uh, so they can get into his office and then go from his office and into Cosmo's office. Um, and that's that very fun sequence where Liz and, and Werner, Stephen Tobolowsky, again, I'd forgotten he was in this and was so fucking stoked when he showed up. 
there's that great <laughs> sequence where she uh, she takes him out on a date and it has to get him while recording him to say all these phrases. Uh, Stephen Tobolowski talks about this scene in an interview that I was checking out where he's talking about it. it was so much fun. They let him pretty much improvise, do whatever he wanted, even though I feel like he plays it pretty straight. So it's funny because they're making it sound like he was a totally wacky character, which he wasn't. Um, and that interview was just also fun to hear him talk about how he got the script and he's like, this, this sounds dumb. This title's bad. But then he's reading it. And he's like, wow, this is what a hundred million dollars reads like, like he, he could immediately tell like this is a hit. And it's funny that he specifically said 100 million because this movie made 105 million dollars at the box office, <laughs> right around that range. It was a hit. Um, but love, love seeing him show just, up. Yeah, if you want to make a hundred million dollar movie, you just gotta put in all the little things that people like to see in movies: enhancing videos, yes. tapping phone calls. Sure. Uh, getting knocked out by getting hit in the head with the gun. Yes. It's just, they, it just checks all the boxes. Having the villain give you his whole plan yeah. uh, is always good. I feel like there may have been a scene too where someone was firing, holding a gun at somebody but not shooting them, saying a bunch of stuff, giving them an, uh, a chance to get out of it. I feel like something like that might have happened here. That's always good. Probably. I mean, plus this movie gives us stuff. Was that? I mean, there's the part where he jumps out of the air ducts. And our boy Eddie Jones has him at gunpoint. Yeah. Yeah, maybe that's it. Air air ducts. Yeah, I think that's it. Air ducts. Another thing. People like to see a guy crawling around and up in the ducts. Uh, Oh, oh, also a guy getting instructions by via earpiece by someone else oh, the astray. earpiece People love that and it's like kind of awkward embarrassing yeah <laughs> middle-aged guy walking slowly through a hot room you, sure it's a little you, more you know obscure, another scene that like... we didn't talk about that though i also like um is after they get the uh the black box the first time and they're having a party and you get to see each member of the team dance and they all have a different dancing style that that's not like a common thing in a lot of movies so i'm just i just want to point out that be- i like that it made them seem like really see lonely it. and sad because they all dance with liz like one at a time <laughs> <laughs> um i mean chris is fine Cindy potier he's a family man he's got a family he yeah, but he doesn't. He does not dance with his wife. He dances with Liz. Uh, he can do that anytime. <laughs> this is a sneakers party. It's, the rules are a little different. Um, but yeah, like like the the dinner scene with Stephen Tobolowski. Oh, oh yeah. There's another great trope. The like uh, woman has to act interested in a nerd to get information from him. Date. Definitely. Mm. Highlight of that scene, of course, is when she has to get him to say passport. And she kind of has run out of ideas. So she's just like, you know what word I really love to hear people say is passport. <laughs> <laughs> like, she can't even think of a clever way to integrate it into the conversation. Yeah, he's just exhausted. And then she... um. She goes back to his place. I I can't remember if that was if she needed something more or if that was just to 
continue to distract him so that he wouldn't go back to the office so, or something. Yes, yeah, so that was that was at a later date. That wasn't the same. Okay. Thing. Okay. Um, and that was yeah, like you're saying, to to keep him away from the office while Robert Redford was breaking into it because obviously that would have been bad if he decided to just go to work late that night. Uh, yeah, let's talk about this break-in. Oh, I guess one more thing I want to touch on before this break-in that's fun is they establish beforehand, because they've done the research, that there's motion sensors in there that um, an alarm will go off if they, I guess, move too fast. Or another thing they have to do is they have to make the room very hot. And I love those details where, like, Dan Aykroyd's showing them the sensor, or him and Sidney Poitier showing this off the sensor. And, you know, explaining how it's got to be done. Uh, love that in a movie. Um, so, yeah. They, they, if you like that, I would yeah. recommend the movie Rafifi to you. Rafifi. Okay. <laughs> you know, I also like movies. I feel like this is an Oceans thing where it's like they're describing how they're going to do something. But as they're describing it, and then once they're done describing it, it's been done. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. That's because that's like it's a little sa- frustrating when they're like time. explaining how, what they're going to do and then they do it and it goes. I mean, usually when they do that, it goes wrong. So, yeah, that's OK. But if if they explain what they're going to do and then later they do it and it goes exactly as they planned, that sucks. See, if I ever make snackers, I want a scene where they're talking about that. They're going really in depth into their plan and then they do carry it out. But they they fuck it up like in like five seconds immediately. Like they go so in depth explaining what they're gonna do, and they fuck up right off the bat. That would be a good bit. I think Goodman would be down. Gonna cut the baguette in half. Gonna spread some olive oil on it. Prosciutto, mustard, and then he just carries out the plan. He just cuts off his finger right away. You know the ambulance comes. Yeah. Oh, can we have a cameo uh, from the the back to school sandwich? Can I have a cameo in Snackers? <laughs> the ultimate snack. The ultimate snack. The most powerful snack in all of cinema. God. I was just thinking about back to school because didn't we didn't we pitch a uh, reboot of that movie starring John Goodman? Ah, uh, yeah, we did. We just love he's, him. well, he's not doing enough. I mean, he's really not doing much outside of the Connors right now. He's not doing enough big, broad comedy like yeah. he used to. I guess he's and, a lot uh, older now. The Righteous Gemstone. Oh, I guess yeah. He's TV got shows. a lot of TV stuff, but I, I miss seeing him. I miss mm. seeing like the big, boisterous kind of John Goodman of the '90s and. Uh, yeah. Cohen Brothers, John Goodman. Cohen. Oh gosh, yeah, it's for sure. I mean, um, Barton Fink era, John Goodman, or even Big Lebowski, John Goodman. Beautiful. I'll take Coyote Ugly, John Goodman. Um, I've only ever seen the end of that movie twice, but it's worth it because you get to see John Goodman do like a sexy dance. <laughs> That's why I've seen the end twice, just for that scene. Uh, caught that on like VH1 or, or something a couple times. Uh, but no, this this plan that sneakers carry out, it's fun. You got... Um, <coughs> Uh, River Phoenix going in there. He's dressed as like a, a gardener or a lawn mowing guy. And he has to go up and he has to mess with the temperature. Um, I like that the security guard is like pretty skeptical like early on. It's like, how come that guy is still in the bathroom? 
That was kind of a, a nice little touch because so often you have questions like that in these kinds of movies. But then they kind of fuck it up because he's going to like go check, but then he looks out the window and sees a um, what he assumes, oh, no, that's that's the gardener guy. Never mind. I guess he's already out of there. And then we like the camera turns and we see that it, that's Dan Aykroyd. And I'm like, come on. Yeah. They're, they're totally different shapes. This is Dan Aykroyd at his schlubbiest that I've seen at least. Uh, I I mean, yeah, they're wearing the same clothes, but, I mean, come on, dude. Not the same guy. <laughs> Not buying it. Well, uh, that's okay. It's fun. Um, and then Redford goes in. He's going through a bunch of, a bunch of vents. Always fun. Um, I recently found out, though, because, um, I was reading up about that in movies when people crawl through vents. And I guess it's one of those things they did on, on Mythbusters once. And they Ooh. found out that like a lot of places do actually have vents like that, and you can do that. But it would be so incredibly loud if there was someone crawling around <laughs> in the vents that you would be noticed immediately. Um, anything else we want to cover during this sweet break-in? I guess... We did talk a little bit about that hilarious scene where Robert Redford has to go super slow. Um, I guess I say right. it's hilarious yeah. just because he's old, so it's funny that one of the you know the big climactic scenes of the movie is Robert Redford walking very slowly in a room <laughs> while people are on his headset being like, "You gotta get out of there right now." That is that is fun when like they're like, "You gotta hurry." He's like, "Hurry!" Like, That's the one thing I can't do. <laughs> That's good. It's crazy to me how like they're sending in so many SWAT dudes. You can see it on all the security cameras, all these dudes with guns. And then we have that whole extended sequence in the parking lot with not another soul to be seen. Yeah, and we don't see them when uh, Robert Redford gets caught either. It's like those SWAT dudes are just for the security cam footage. That's right. So he, he turns himself in. Um, I mean, he's up in the vents because to Steven Toblowski brings in Liz. That's right. He brings her back. Oh, and the what's the way that they figure out? Oh, they figure out that something's uh, something's wrong because she mentions like that they met on a virtual date, and he's like, mm. "Virtual? You would never be matched on a virtual date with him." <laughs> That's how he figures and, it out. And let's, Let's also not forget that uh, the reason Steven Tobosky is even suspicious of Liz is because his robot dog knocked over her purse and he saw her ID. <laughs> That's right. That's just good storytelling, though. That sentence was so good. His robot dog. I mean, that guy was really ahead of the curve. Those got to be pretty big in like the late 90s. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, when did Furby happen? That was like 98? Yeah. Something Maybe not that late. No, that makes sense to me. I mean, I, I, I'm not too hard on some some of this stuff because I I really do think this movie is a comedy, and I mean, it's, I know it's probably mostly like, I guess an action thriller maybe, but it it doesn't take itself too seriously. So I'm I just find that stuff fun. I know it's stupid. I know it. There's probably uh, I know I I I think you're right to call it a comedy. I don't think there's a single action scene in this movie that is that actually takes itself seriously. 
Um, mm-hmm. We are getting if there is one. I'm no, not remembering. Th- there isn't. We are, we are getting one that, of course, is 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 very funny, uh, but it's very uh, fun too. <laughs> uh, so Robert Redford's getting fucked over inside. Actually, I can't remember the order of events here. So correct me um, if it needs correction if it doesn't make sense because there's that there's that certain point where uh where dan Aykroyd and cindy Pote get caught outside by the some yeah. guards that's that's where we get mm-hmm. the big reveal we get the big reveal the big reveal um the before reveal before i get to that hold off a little longer <laughs> yeah. uh whistler is still in the back of the van um and he's he's contacted. He's going to need to drive the van to get them out of this situation. It's like he's blind. What's he going to do? But he he starts to make his way to the wheel. Um. And then Crease and Potier, he's he's hiring these two guys. He notices behind them that Whistler is behind the wheel, and that's when mm-hmm. he brings up. Do you know why they kicked? Why I, why I left the CIA? Or why they kicked you know me out of the CIA? You know how I got these guys? You know how I got these guys? And you remember what he says? We, we've built enough to it. Who wants to? Uh, who wants to deliver this? Okay, I'll go. My temper. And then, right as he says that, Whistler starts driving. Uh, does he throw a punch too, or does he just jump out of the way? I can't remember if he just gets to throw a badass punch, or if it's more of just like, I'm distracting you assholes as this sweet van comes zooming by. In my memory, Sidney uh, Poitier. Uh, punches them. Both. He must sock, sock him. Give him a good socking. He couldn't have punched that many guys in that many movies, right? And I mean, and this is the part I remember is he calls them motherfuckers. Oh, I missed that. I forgot about that. You're right. I wasn't sure if I. Th- it's pretty good. Is that what we were actually building to? I was building to my temper. No, that's what I was building to. City Butchie. <laughs> Knocks out two security cards and calls them motherfuckers. I mean, both both good. Well, that's why I thought it was so strange that we were building to him saying my temper, not to him dropping the ass. I, I didn't remember the my temper. Part. Do you know that they actually had to add a lot of uh, swears in this movie because it originally got a PG rating? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, this will ruin the movie. People can't know. Come, come see sneakers. Dude. It's PG. <laughs> Too many it's kids, kids. will go to see it. Yeah. <laughs> Watch all these old men. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm sure every every kid had to get a Martin Bishop action figure. <laughs> that is ahead of their time. Is knowing the kids want to see a movie full of people in their 50s and 60s. <laughs> uh, but no, they added a uh, lot, plenty of fucks to, or at least one fuck and a couple shits to make this PG-13. It's pretty funny. That that was probably the one fuck then, right? If this is PG thirteen, I don't remember a lot of others. The only one I remember. Yeah, you're only allowed like really two, maybe at most. Yeah, uh, but that's cool. And we got that very fun scene of them uh, trying to guide uh, Whistler through the parking lot, driving yeah. the van. Love this sequence. Because uh, it's just it's something I haven't seen before. I haven't seen a movie where a blind person had mm-hmm. to drive a truck. It's like the E.T. bike riding scene. <laughs> it's just as memorable. Yeah, you think there's any uh, production logos that are uh, a blind man driving a van? <laughs> like the Amblin logo? 
Oh, I haven't seen the Phil Alden Robinson movie. Yeah, is that his? If you watch the symbol of all fears, is is the logo of Van <laughs> driving up and crashing into a wall? It's like Whistler Films. He seriously did the sum of all fears. He directed the sum of all fears. Those are like his three big movies: is Sneakers, uh, Field of Dreams, and Sum of All Fears. Wow. Um, let's see. Does he have anything else that I know of? Uh, Rhinestone with Sylvester Stallone. All of me. <laughs> did he write? Did he direct all of me? Or he's a he's a writer. He's, it looks like he's mostly a screenwriter. Oh, this makes so much sense now. He's a writer on Ghost Dad. Uncredited. <laughs> so I guess he. No, I guess he knew some of these guys. And he directed the uh, first episode of Band of Brothers as well. Oh, nice. He's got some nice TV Yo, credits. Yeah, he still works occasionally. He's in his 70s. Um, he was a selling point for this movie, though. Yo. The poster, we didn't. We haven't really talked about the poster. It's a great poster because it's just like a bunch of names. <laughs> the top, it says, from the director of Field of Dreams. Like, that's, it just like doesn't seem like the same kind of movie. So it's a weird thing to have. But then you got like all these names, and then you got like true. at the bottom of the poster, like the page is like peeling up, and you can see all the actors like they're sneaking into the movie. <laughs> they line them up from importance too: Sidney Poitier, Robert Redford at the front, Dan Aykroyd in the third position, then Mary McDonnell, and then um, River Phoenix, and then David Strathairn. You can like barely see, but he's there. I'm sure if you enhance the poster. <laughs> you can see him very well in crystal clear detail <laughs> um that van thing that that's the big thing for me like I, I i don't know i guess after that i mean robert redford gives him robert redford has an an inexplicable confrontation with uh with ben kingsley yeah if you think about the logistics of it it doesn't make a lick of sense because um, River Phoenix and Mary McDonnell are able to get off the roof and run to the van. And in that time, Robert Redford is still just on the roof, like waiting for Ben Kingsley to appear, I guess. Yeah. Um, but it is an interesting final confrontation with the villain because he's just like, I'm leaving. And Ben Kingsley's kind of like, all right, I'll see you around. Doesn't want to shoot him. They, like they don't. They don't like. There's not like a big uh, war of words. There's no fighting. It's just like shit's over, man. Well, I'm he does hand him <laughs> what he thinks is is the box, but he's just giving him the do. The oh, duplicate. that's true. That's true. Because it shows yeah, earlier. Because they machine. they bought a, a duplicate of the answering machine earlier when they were testing out the sensors. So they had like I remember that. I was mm-hmm. like, he's gonna fucking give him a fake one. I guess pretty much everyone knows that when they're watching it. <laughs> Um, so they win, and then um, back at their their sweet pad, that's when we get a scene that I was not expecting. An, another actor who I did not remember was in this movie. He's just sitting there in the dark. It's we fuck- had heard him on the phone. We did hear him on the phone from when they're bouncing the calls that sequence. Um, as and, the- uh, and that's what makes it smart casting because it's like that's definitely Darth Vader on the phone. Like that can't be anyone else. <laughs> Uh, yeah, dude. Uh, James Earl Jones as NSA agent Bernard Abbott. 
Uh, uh, you said, right. Sean, this is a, a strange scene tonally. I love this scene. Now, yeah, as 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 goofy as the movie had been, I was not prepared for how just like out of reality we were in this final scene. Um, because they show up like with guns. Like the the implication is the NSA is going to kill these people to make this problem go away. Um, and uh, Robert Woodford pretty much tells them, "Hey, the thing you're looking for is in my bag." Um, and yet somehow he's able to turn this into a weird negotiation where everyone gets to, uh, like they've summoned a genie from a lamp, make a wish for the NSA <laughs> that, that they will have to have granted. That works. Uh, yeah, the NSA doesn't have to do anything. But but he, but he's like, he, he listens, he listens to the requests. Robert Redford wants them to clear his name. And all of his past crimes. Well, uh, also, I, I can't remember if that's first. I think that I want to say that one's first. Because and then Dan Aykroyd asked for a Winnebago. <laughs> so now he's just asking yep. for like stuff. <laughs> just buy me some stuff. <laughs> just buy me a thing. Which is what he had said earlier that uh, you know when they thought they were getting paid by uh, by Eddie Jones, our favorite guy. Uh, he like they, he had brought up that he wants a Winnebago. Yeah. So pay off. Um, Sidney so Pote asked for because because he's a family man. We know that he's a family man. Mm-hmm. Uh, him and his wife have never been to Europe, and then it just keeps adding on different parts of Europe. And then also like someone throws in like Tahiti, and James Earl Jones, James Earl Jones, like that's not in Europe. <laughs> Got to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, River Phoenix asked for a date with one of the, uh, the the number, the phone number with one of the agents there. One of the members of the NSA hit squad. That come to <laughs> she's kill got it. She's holding a gun, pointed out <laughs> at the guys. But she's just like, you could ask for anything, and you want my number, and she gives it to him. <laughs> Which is so weird because he's also given up to for James Earl Jones their negotiating position <laughs> by saying you could ask for anything. I do like to point out that she does give um, him an actual phone number, not like a fake one. They actually bought a phone number, and if you called it in real life, he'd be like, "Go see sneakers in theaters now." Because <laughs> um, they're like, if 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 we, if we have her say five five five, it'll sound like she's giving him a fake number, so it has to be a real phone number. Oh, right. <laughs> uh, and then finally, uh, Whistler, uh, though first he doesn't know where James Earl Jones is, um, asks for Ugh. peace on earth and goodwill towards men. Because he's that kind of guy. Whistler doesn't care about things. Yeah. He's the real hero. He is the most useful member of the team. I like that quote, too. Um, if you remember, he he says, I want peace on earth and goodwill towards men. And um, James Earl Jones says something to the effect of, we're the U.S. government. We don't do that sort of thing. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's good. So they've, they've made all the requests. James Jones is frustrated, but he's like, all right, whatever. I, I'm just thinking, like, after he gets... Well, I get... Here, I'll get in that, this in a second. Because um, what I was going to say is, like, well, after he gets it, he doesn't have to give him all that stuff. But in a way, he does, because yeah. he leaves. 
and then Rob Redford shows that he stole the main processor from the the black box. So they can't even do yeah, anything. He with just it. gave him an answering machine. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then we got like a postscript. And, and that, by the way, yeah. that's, there's also the big reveal that um, that we missed. The, yes. the whole thing that makes this a political movie. Yeah. Uh, the reveal that that the black box only works on American systems. Right. That the NSA had developed uh, something that you know supposedly could hack anything, but really it's just to hack and spy on Americans. Yeah. Can't do Which anything with is, Russia. you know, way ahead of its time. People were not suspicious of the NSA in 1992 like we are now. Um, there, there's a very prescient aspect to sneakers there. They were way out in front of the NSA, scraping all of our info and being terrible. This definitely was like a growing thing in the 90s. And when I think of, like, the X-Files of, like, the government's hiding some shit. This was, like, the dawn of the conspiracy theorist. Um... Maybe some of the things they believed. The sneakers. They pulled it off. Mm-hmm. They pulled off the big one. Sean, you already had your wonderful goof. Yeah. Um, sounds like you liked it. I liked it. Colin, did you like it? Yeah, I liked it. I'm, I just, you know, I'm bad at remembering the plots of movies, and this one was like a little complicated. It's a little... So I well, I got the basics, but yeah, there's definitely a lot of smaller details and nuances that I forgot, yeah. for sure. <laughs> I uh, am curious how much you guys like this one, though, because it is quotable, it is fun, the cast is great, and, and I don't just mean I like the people in the cast, I mean they're like they're all playing characters that are good for them. Uh, and they're committing 100%, and I enjoy that. Um, but ultimately, I was I was kind of just, like, fine with the movie. I didn't love it the way that I wanted to. Um, I was wondering what where you guys ended up feeling about it. I mean, I like it, but I, I can kind of see why it's, like, a little forgotten. Like, there's nothing really that is that distinctive in terms of setting it apart from these other kind of, like, heist putting a team together type of movies. Uh, I mean, as we said, it's, it's got a lot of tropes in it that are pretty well worn, but like, it's still, it's still pretty fun to just watch and, and spend time with these characters. Even if the movie doesn't like break any new ground or anything. I liked it quite a bit. It seems like this always happens. Whoever picks the movie always likes it the most. I think that part of that is also you feel, <laughs> since you picked it, you feel like you have to kind of defend it a little bit to, to an extent. So that's probably part yeah. of it. But also this was just like, it was it was the right amount of fun I wanted to have. Like, I, I was looking for a fun time. I was like Bill Duke and Predator. You know, I'm, I'm going to have me some fun, as he says in that film. <laughs> And that's what I, that's what happened. And there's stuff in there is like, yeah, that's silly, that's a cliche, that's stupid. But it's fun seeing that kind of movie with like people like Robert Redford and Sidney Poitier, like and such a list talent, and then such a list supporting talent like James Earl Jones. You know, sometimes it's fun to just have like basically what's like a fast food meal, but prepared very well, <laughs> very hot and steamy. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, it's kind of like, yeah, it's, it's a lot of the basics, but I, I thought it was very competent. Um, you know, I just put this on, I had some popcorn, it was a fun night, I had a blast. 
You know, there's a couple moments too. I, I I talked a little bit about this, but I really loved this score, this James Horner score with like these <laughs> kind of twinkly pianos and like low key flutes. Like yeah. there's scenes where I'm like, this what is happens? making the scene so much better because of the music. Like that Scrabble scene is like, this is like majestic and beautiful because of this music that's going on. Yeah. What stood to me is that there was a very different vibe to the opening of the movie than the rest of the score, though. Like the opening is kind of like a sexy saxophone song. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> boom, boom, uh, and then, like you said, the rest is pretty just like solo piano. The rest is like like his other score. It's like a beautiful mind or <laughs> something. I'm just kind of browsing through Wikipedia, and yeah, I was I did not misremember. They did try to turn this into a TV series. They were developing it in 2016 for NBC. What? I guess it didn't work out. But Walter Parks, um, one of the original writers, who has been a pretty prolific producer since this movie, was trying to get that off the ground. But I guess it just didn't uh, pan out. That's really surprised me because I, what I envisioned earlier was a very like two, early 2000s, late 90s, uh, you know, low budget sort of action, but mostly drama series. I can't believe they're trying to do it in 2016. That's so weird. Who do you, uh, they definitely would try to get someone from the movie in it. Though. Who do you think in 2016? Dan Aykroyd? I think, yeah, it's got to be Dan Aykroyd. Be on the show? I don't think people would be as happy seeing David Strathairn reprise his blind character. Yeah. Um, and Redford's retired. He's done so. Which is a real bummer. I was watching retired, this. I was though. watching this movie. I was so bummed that he's retired. I know he's pretty old, but I feel like he's still got some good performances in him. Um, I didn't see Old Stop Man in the Gun, but he was good in. Uh, he was good in his Marvel appearances and uh i liked him in all his loss i know that's going back a little bit um pete's dragon <laughs> so yeah come on come on robbie come out of retirement play the president on watchman season two <laughs> he's great i was just gonna ask you before i go and do uh, a quick villains wiki sean uh do you think you're gonna keep watching some redford movies are you still on that Oh, for sure. Redford kick. Yeah. Because I couldn't even convince my dad to watch this movie. I just told him that I was watching it, and he started pitching other Robert Redford movies. Oh, yeah? That's surprising. This seems like a very your dad movie. It does. Uh, The thing was, he was like, I saw it in 1992. I'm good. That's 30 30 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) This really felt like a movie that, like, would have been a pick back when we were doing the pick, like, you know, just out of high school or something. Maybe we would have watched it at your house, Sean. Maybe we would have found it in your dad's, like, DVD collection. And then we would have put it on and gotten some snacks from 7-Eleven. It had that vibe to me. Of like, this seems like a movie I would have seen a so, long time ago. I bought this on Blu-ray, and it is the most primitive Blu-ray I've ever bought. <laughs> it, does, it does the thing that I thought only, like, the early DVDs did. Where you put it in and it just starts playing the movie. Like, you don't even go to a menu. (laughs) Um, And then at the end of the movie, after the credits, it takes you to a menu, which looks like shit. Um, (laughs) And it has, it has, I think it's it's like you can turn the commentary on and watch the trailer and there's maybe like a making of. 
Um, but if you let it sit there for a minute, like no time at all, it just starts playing the movie again. It's like, all right, clearly you're not messing with the menu. We're going back. So I've seen the opening sequence twice. <laughs> All right. Um, should I do a villains wiki? We've been going for a while. Yeah. No, I want to talk about Julian Assange. <laughs> okay, it's a quick one. All right. So now we're gonna do uh, John's Rogues Gallery. <laughs> God, I love being a bad guy. Uh, so yeah, this is the part of the podcast where I go to Villains Wiki. Um, and we're talking about Cosmo. He is an evildoer, you guys, from Sneakers. Mm-hmm. Full name. Co- it, uh, not according to this. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go back to the Wikipedia page for Sneakers, see if they covered it there. Because um, they don't have it on Villains Wiki. Okay, sneakers. Let's take a look here. Uh, no, they never gave him one. He's just Cosmo. Cosmo. Full name Cosmo. Alias Cos. Origin sneakers. <laughs> yeah. Occupation leader yeah. of his own criminal organization bent on bringing down the entire world's economy system. Power skills. Hacking abilities. I feel like he's got a few more, but okay. Hobby. Making no, banks fail. Right. <laughs> Hobbies are making banks fail. Uh, on screen. <laughs> and hacking into computer Off screen. systems. Unseen. I combine okay. that into unscreen. <laughs> unscreen. <laughs> unscreen sounds like a like a Black Mirror-esque show. That's, you know, on screen. <laughs> unscreen. Yeah. It's about the horrors of the future. It's like we're so glued to our screens. We're unscreened. Yeah. Uh, Cause I've called him Cause now. I've called him by his nickname. Uh, <laughs> Cause's goals use the black box to destabilize the world economy. This is a really repetitive entry. Crimes, yeah. terrorism, and hacking. Yep. And can you guys tell me okay. what type... Not sneaking. Nope, not sneaking. He's totally against it. What's the opposite of a sneaker? Uh, flamboyant man. <laughs> okay, there you go. Uh, type. Okay, type of villain, two words. Can you guys give it a guess? Uh, butthurt... <laughs> Egomaniac. So that's that's but so that's hyphenated then, right? Butt hurt. It's two words. Okay, butt hurt. What did you say? Butt hurt. Egomaniac. Oh, okay. Egomaniac. Gotcha. I'm, I'm just gonna use a term that Sean introduced me to. Uh, techno terrorist. Techno terror. Very good guess, actually. Uh, both uh, good guesses, but he is an anarchistic cracker <laughs> cracker that's the term they used <laughs> should it be hacker is i guess cracking codes 
But we don't really see him do that. So the thing is, the encryption device will give you the ability to crack codes. But he never gets it. All we ever see him do is, is hacking into stuff. I don't agree. I don't agree with this. Um, no, definitely not. I think he's a butthurt techno terrorist. <laughs> yeah, like Jonathan Price. Yeah. <laughs> and tomorrow never dies. All right, and so that just about wraps it up, except Colin, you have the next big pick. So I'll leave it to you. All right. So for my next pick, I feel like you guys might be mad at me picking Uh-oh. this because I feel like it's a movie you've both seen like a million times. <laughs> sometimes oh, sometimes that's fun. Sometimes but, that's fun. But I don't think I've ever actually seen it all the way through. I've just seen lots of parts. Mm. And, and know lots of parts from it very well. Uh, I think I'm going to pick uh, Batman and Robin. Oh, interesting. You don't think you've uh, seen it? I, I don't think I've seen it all the way through. Um, it just, you know, we got that new The Batman movie. This seems like it's like the polar opposite totally of what we're going to get. So I think it'd be kind of fun to frame like a conversation about that movie in the context of of the new Batman, which we could also talk about a bit because I assume we'll all have seen it by then. Um, And, uh, you know, we'll get to make up for that uh, Arnold, that top 10 Arnold uh, T3 podcast that was (laughs) lost when we recorded it like whatever that was eight years ago. Yeah, no, that's that's fun. Yeah. Um, it's on Hulu, okay. so you don't have to spend money on it. Yeah. Uh, sure. Um, I, yeah, that's uh, that's always fun. I think Batman Forever is the one I've um, been more interested in revisiting, but I'll probably do that in preparation for this. Yeah, maybe well, I'll watch that too. Yeah, I well, but I feel like everyone's always like that one's just bad. I, you know, it, it's interesting because I've heard people say that like, no, that one's actually actually good, and Batman Robin's just a joke. But <laughs> in my memory, Batman and Robin is funny, and it kind of knows it's bad. Whereas I feel like Batman Forever isn't quite in on its own joke. Yeah, like it's still tr- trying. The nipples to be good. are a lot more subtle. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> how serious is Batman and Robin taking itself if it has the the fucking credit card, the Batman credit card? <laughs> Great. Wait, that's a, that's a that is that our um, Schumacher again, right? Yeah, that'll be yeah. our third Schumacher. Damn, dude, I was thinking of picking a Schumacher this summer. We just, you know, I have at least two more I want to cover this on the is our podcast. Kind of director. Yeah. Are there any other directors we've done two or three times? I know we've done the Wachowskis twice. Oh, here let me let me pull up the list real quick, just because I have it. Um, I guess hand. we've done uh, two two Joe Dantes. Yes, but also he was involved with Rock and Roll true. High School as well. That's true. It's like two and a half, I guess. Um, yeah, I'm kind of perusing. Yeah, you got it there. Of course, Scoops was one and two, I think, are different directors. Um, still only done one Roland Emmerich, but I feel like that'll change someday. 
No, we've done two. We did a... Uh, oh, White House Down. F- White House Down. And and Universal yeah. Soldier. Soldier movie. Right, yeah. right. Wow, so we have. Um, yeah, I'm just kind of looking through the list. I'm not seeing a lot of others that we've covered. Multiple directors. We've covered some weird movies, dude. I want to get another Michael Bay in here at some point. Should we, like, maybe we'll do Ambulance or something. Ambulance. (laughs) I've never seen, um, I've never seen the Bad Boys movies. But I don't know how much I care either. Oh, man, she just got real. Oh, I guess so. That's that's a Bad Boys reference. Okay, sorry, sorry, I did not. I did not get it. Um... But for more of those great references and jokes, check out this podcast. Anywhere you can get um, podcasts, really, just search the pick or go to mildlypeace.com where we post the episodes. Um, and that's about it. Yeah, that's pretty much all we do. <laughs> Colin writes about music and stuff. Sometimes. And I get, can get around to it. Uh, but me and Sean, not really, because we have... Too many secrets. <laughs> I will see you guys next time. Staring in a shut